y'all, it's happening. I am so excited. I'm sitting here. I'm in my pajamas. I have coffee. I'm in slippers. It's the morning. I slept so little last night because I finished a book. And the whole reason I started this podcast was because I would finish books at like two in the morning three in the morning and then I wouldn't be able to sleep and then I would wake up and I'd immediately want to talk to somebody about it and there would be nobody that I could talk to either because it's a different time zone or they're at work or we're all at work or nobody has read what I'm reading that I know and so I just I'm sitting here I'm in this like weird moment I'm like it's happening everything's happening what's the protocol what's the procedure I think the protocol is that I get to welcome you here. So I'm Kayla. Welcome to What's Her Fantasy, a laissez-faire literary podcast all about fantasy books. And today we're talking about What Lies Beyond the Veil, a book by Harper L. Woods. I guess I only choose authors that have an L middle name. This book is around 418 pages. I have it in a softback. I have it in a paperback. Um, I don't know if it comes in a hardback, uh, but I kind of like the paperback on this book. And you know what? At the end of it, I threw it and uh, I didn't mind that it got a little damaged because I'm a little damaged after reading this. I picked this book up and saw that it was, I don't know, 420 pages. I thought it would take me a few days to a week to read it. I read the entire thing in two days Um, and I wasn't trying to read fast. It's a quick read. It's a quick little jaunt um through a, a what a world what a time I'm thinking that as great as it's been to sort of dig into a lot of the plot what I'm going to do for this book and maybe moving forward I don't know I kind of want to hear your thoughts but um is a little less plot a little more thought uh so I'll still cover some of the major plot points but I kind of just want to dig into how I feel and maybe that's because I just have so many feelings right now and I need to get them out and I need to not worry about delivering a a concise plot reenactment. It's going to be a tragic retelling. That's um, what I'm known for at this point in time. Uh, So, you know, we're going to go with it, but um, this might not be as linear as the previous episodes. And, you know, we grow, we move on, we try new things. And if they suck, we go back to the old things, right? This book has been recommended to me over the last four months. When I first finished uh, A Court of Thorns and Roses series, this was what was immediately recommended to me right after. And I chose to read the rest of Sarah J. Mass's work. But I always knew, I always had a nugget in the back of my mind that I would go to this series. And at the time, it was only one book. Now it is two books. The second book came out this summer. And the third book, I think, is coming out in uh, March or May, one of the M months of next year. And I don't know if it's a triplet or if there is more beyond that that are planned. Um but I was told that it had some of the same themes and you know, that's my jam. I recently um, I'm in a book club and we recently read my choice of a book, which was Addie LaRue, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. And it was a great read. I'm going to do a mini sode on it. Um, I loved love the book. Uh, but it was, I think, like low stakes fantasy. I really missed the like world building. I missed that feeling of 
I guess I can't say immortality because that book is all about immortality. I, I just miss being submerged in a world that is not our own. And that book takes place in our world um, or some version of it. And this takes place in a world that is so not our world. It's a completely built upon, made up world. I mean, I don't know. I haven't traveled through all the worlds in our world in our galaxy, but I'm it's not like anything I've ever been to, that's for sure. <laughs> so I was just really missing the ability to sort of transcend worlds and get up out of here for a little while, get up out of good old Portland, Oregon and jump into, there's a map at the beginning of this book, I gotta say, it is one of my most favorite things when you open a book. Some people hate this and I'm, to each their own, you know, I can understand how they might. I am absolutely obsessed when I open a book and the first or second or third page is a map. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to these places. I'm going there. It helps me envision everything so well. Um, so I'm flipping to the map here. So this book is about a girl who is a human girl, and she lives in a part of the universe of this book called North. Nope, it's called Nothrek. And this is like a typical human divided fae universe. So half the world is um, humans. The other half is fae. And I just I got to stop here. And I have to say, I love fae lore. I love fae canon. I love fae anything. But I have taken some ownership over my view of fae. So I don't envision, and I think all of these fantasy books don't envision fae as like a tiny little fairy creature. Fae are like stronger, larger, more beautiful humanoid type creatures. I also hate the word humanoid, but that's just the only way I can think to describe it. So I really love like a book that has Fae in it and that concept of Fae that's like there's some layer of long life or immortality. There's some layer of special ability and magic and they're larger and bigger than us, us mortal folk. Um, but I also choose to 100% completely ignore pointed ears. I it's not for me. I hate it. And um, I choose to ignore it. So anytime I see fan art that has most fan art has like ex the accentuated point, my brain just like wipes right over that. And it's like, no, they're just they're normal ears. I could picture like maybe a little a teeny little arch, but these like pointy I just can't. They're not for me. It takes all of the lust out of it. It takes all the desire out of it for me. So that's my, I guess, fey disclaimer is when I'm talking about this, just envision my envisionment, which is just real hot, tall humans. There's a wall, a magical wall called the veil that separates the fey from the human. Oh my gods, I totally forgot to say three words about the book. What are the three words I would use to describe this book? And now I have to think of them because I hadn't had any time to think of them. Okay. The first word that I would use to describe this book is simple. And stick with me on this. The book itself is not simple, but compared to some other fantasy reads, it's fairly easy to grasp the world. It's fairly easy to grasp the players and it's fairly easy and simple to kind of follow along in the story. It's it's pretty straightforward. So I would say simple is the first word. 
I'm going to make some pretty controversial for book conversation um, and sexual conversation. Some con- controversial, I'm going to share some controversial opinions that other people might feel differently about. And that's okay. So the second word that I would use to describe this book is a compound word that I have made up. And it's cold bucket. And I am not going to dig in any deeper until I dig in very, very deep in a little while. So stay tuned for that. Cold bucket is the second word that I would use to describe this book. The third word is snake. And it has many different meanings. Snake as in someone might be a snake. Snake as in the word that the main character uses to describe her love interest's dick. Someone just rang my doorbell and um, I'm pretty sure they just heard me scream dick out into the house. So if that didn't scare them away, I don't know what will. Maybe it wouldn't scare them away. Maybe the thing is finally happening, which someone, a fae male, is showing up at my house while I'm in here reading books to take me away. I'm going with him willingly. That's not the plot of many of these, one in particular that I will cover later on in the series. That was my neighbor and one of the most uncomfortable yet entertaining conversations I'd had in a really long time. All that to say, um, before we get into the nitty gritty of what lies beyond the veil, I want to give a little bit of a trigger warning. It's not a little bit of a trigger warning. It's a trigger warning. And I think I'm going to give these on books that cover sexual assault and or grooming um, and then any other themes that come up that I feel like should have a trigger warning. I'll give that so the listeners are aware that that content might be discussed um, throughout this book. Okay, what lies beyond the veil? This is a tale about a girl. I actually think she's not that young. And I say that because most of the these books, you know, kind of they take place around that coming of age time, 18, 19. But I want to say I saw somewhere in here that she was in her early 20s. Um, and that could be completely made up. I could have just made that up in my brain. It could be completely wrong. I'm not going to go look for it. Um, but she lives in a in a little village that is on the edge of town right next to the Vale, which is the wall that divides the human of Nothek with the, flipping back to the map, um, Fae of Alfhammer. <laughs> I think there actually might be a pronunciation guide in this. Hold, please hold. I'm not prepared. No, there's no pronunciation guide. But there is a list at the beginning of this of all of the um, hierarchy of the gods and fey primordials and the gods of note, which I don't know. I think that was kind of cool. There is also a um, synopsis at the beginning of this book. And I, again, just this is going to be filled with controversial opinions. I would love to hear from folks who feel differently. Um, or folks who feel the same. Uh, I think those are the only two options here. (laughs) But I hate, hate is a strong word. I really don't enjoy reading about a book before I read it, even if it's the back cover or the inside cover of a hardback or anything. I just want to go into it. I want to know, I want to know if someone thinks the book is good. That's it. That's all I want to know. I don't want to know a single thing about it. I want to be surprised at every single turn. And so... I have a friend, this cracks her up. She'll watch 
a movie preview and then we'll be going to the movies and she'll say like, yeah, this happens. And I'll be like, don't tell me that. And she'll say, Kayla, it's literally in the trailer of the movie. And so I can't be mad. And so I should watch that. But I just don't let I just don't watch any of that stuff. I prefer I just want to know if someone has a good or negative opinion on the thing. If they have a negative opinion, I still might read it or watch it. But I just like to have some baseline about is this good or is this not good? And then go in completely surprised. But for people who might like a little synopsis, it has a synopsis on the front, which is different than the description on the back of the book. Gives a little bit more. I did read it because I thought that it was necessary for the story. And I realized that maybe it shouldn't have been at the front of the book because it was just a plot overview. Oh my God, maybe I should just read that as the plot of the book. No. So it basically follows a girl named Estrella who is being groomed by the lord of their land to be his next wife after he murders his first wife with belladonna i love when i see things like belladonna which i don't know is that a real thing it's in practical magic it was in throne of glass is this a widely accepted made-up thing or is this a real thing and i'm not going to google that either because we're just going to roll with it this time i'm very unprepared i'm not even wearing pants so we follow a girl named estrella who is a harvester. She's from a poor family. She actually has a family still, which I think is super interesting because a lot of these stories start with a human person who doesn't have a family. Their family has been killed. Very superhero origin story, if you will. And so she has a brother who um, has a close relationship with her, and she has a mom who is in a wheelchair due to the stress of her birth. Um, with Estrella and then she had a father but her father was what we find out sacrificed to the veil meaning they killed him at the veil's edge to feed the magic of the veil because the stories that the humans have been told are that the fae the evil fae um come and hunt the humans and take them back to be their mates and their sort of you know um consorts without their permission um but it introduces something that I really like. And we know I really like it. It's Faded Mates. I'm here for it. And so when I found out that that was the theme of this book, I immediately snatched it up. So it's a casual tale of this um, mistreatment of this girl who... Casual tale. It's a horrific tale of this mistreatment of this girl. But it's the age-old tale of a fantasy book beginning. There's a, a girl, a woman who's being mistreated or um, in you know more dire circumstance. She decides that she's not going to be with this evil lord. There's like a lunar landing happening outside my house. The universe is trying to stop me from recording this podcast right now, but I won't let it. I'm pressing on. I have much to say. She decides she's not going to marry this guy and instead the high priestess is going to sacrifice her to the veil on the, the day of the sacrifice. She's a mischievous main character. So she likes to sneak out at night. She shouldn't be out at night. In this universe, women are subservient to men. They can't think or look or breathe or have feelings. Um, and their sole purpose is to just bear children, marry men, bear children, not have opinions, not have thoughts. The story they're told about their fae, you know, potential, the fae across the across the veil is that th that would be the same thing, but amplified, but way worse. And there's this concept of being fae marked in this book 
series. And that concept is essentially some humans have the mark of the fae on them. And it means that they are selected to be a mate of the fae. And the fae would then come and hunt them and take them to Alphamere. Alphamere. I'm going to call it Alphamere. Alphamere. That's probably wrong. But many things are. (laughs) And I don't know if people's marks are out at this point in time. I don't think they are. Maybe they are. No, they're not. They're definitely not. No marks are out. It's a hidden mark that somehow reveals itself at some point in time. And then there's a few other, you know, like groups of people. So there's this mist guard who they are like the people who protect against the Fae, but they actually kill anyone who's Fae marked so that the Fae cannot get them because the death is way better than being taken by the Fae. Like death is preferential than being taken by these Fae. These Fae bastards, that's what they're called, Um, which... Love myself a good old fae bastard. But they're fae and (laughs) they don't come to play. They come to take you away. Oh my God. (laughs) I should have been a rapper. So there's the Misgard, and then there is something called the Wild Hunt. And the Wild Hunt are fae Mistguard. So they come and hunt you and take you to your fae mate. So Estrella decides that she is not going to take any more abuse from this lord who's been both physically and sexually abusing her. She decides that she's going to let herself be sacrificed to the veil. She doesn't volunteer as tribute in the words of the Hunger Games, but she allows them to choose her to be the sacrifice for the veil so that she doesn't have to live a life um, with this man who's been abusing her. And so the moment that she, and she's always had like a curiosity with this veil, like a pull to it. And the moment that she is about to have her throat slit, it's like half slit at the at the base of the veil. She reaches out and touches it. And the whole veil, there's like a howl or growl or some animal noise from the other side. And the entire veil shatters. And the veil that divides the fae and the humans is gone. Fae can now walk in, snatch their mates, and go back to their little fae dens. All of a sudden, as soon as the veil drops, she you find out that she is fae marked. And so she has these swirls on her that show that she has the mark of the fae. She has a mate. It's the fae. I would have been like pumping my hands in the air. I'm going to go like shatter some sliding glass doors and see if a mark shows up on me. If I can become fae marked. Take me away. I want to go to Alphamere. But she did not. She was very scared. Also scared that the Mist Guard was going to to get her and kill her. So because she's Faye marked, her and her brother go on the run. Um, She's in a barn. <laughs> and all of a sudden, in walks the love interest. In walks Callum. Actually, I think she walks in. And this is where the story is simple. There's a division between the Faye and the humans. She is about to be sacrificed. The veil falls. She goes on a journey on the run with her brother. They don't know where they're going. They're just trying to escape the wild hunt. They're trying to escape the mist guard. And they're trying to escape the Fae. And then they end up on this journey. She meets a man. His name is Callum. He is in the barn. It's funny because when she first meets him, it's so reminiscent. This is like one of the first moments of this book feeling to me like a lesser version. (laughs) I'm sorry, but it does. It feels like a lesser version of From Blood and Ash. And I'm so glad that this ended up being the way that I recorded these episodes because I wouldn't have been able to talk about them. If you hadn't read From Blood and Ash, go back, listen to the first two episodes of the podcast, What's Her Fantasy? (laughs) A laissez-faire literary podcast all about fantasy books. Go listen to episodes one and two and then come back and listen to this because I am going to be bringing up 
that story quite a bit. But it's that very, the very end of the first chapter of that book where she pr presses back against a cold, hard male body. It's almost the exact same line in this book um, where, you know, she goes in the barn and he's there and he makes some comment to her. And one of the things that was different, though, that I actually really liked about this was that there was a sense of ease and a comfort between them and their bodies somehow were magnetically drawn to each other. The physical touch, which is something that had been looked down upon in her human village, even though she was abused by this lord. And she did have a lover who was a, a mist guard, but she had a lover. And so she had known physical touch, but it was really frowned upon before marriage. So um, there was like this, I don't know, religious, like pious culture there was it was just looked down upon and so the immediate like ease of their comfort with one another was one of the things I really liked about their introduction but it did just feel like a little bit of an echo of um, Poppy and Castile's first introduction but she is introduced Estrella is introduced to Callum and I highlighted this line because this was one of the first moments where I felt comforted I felt a sense of something deep within me being like, hmm, like a sigh. And the line is, his fingers shifted until his pinky brushed against mine. And I wondered briefly if he felt the same current of tension. And I don't know, I just felt like this book is not a slow burn by any means. But what I like about slow burn is this is how it starts and you can feel it's palpable. You can feel that tension. I felt the tension as a reader. So I actually really liked that. Uh, you find out that his name is Callum and he has a nickname for her. She says her name's Estrella, but the nickname that he uses for her is Little One. And I I like it, but I felt like in my mind, yes, he's bigger than her. He's taller than her, whatever. Um, I just felt like it was infantilizing her. That is a theme throughout this book. That was one thing that I actually did not enjoy was that it just seemed like he knew better and he thinks he knows better. I am all for someone taking charge, but it seemed like she went from the arms of people who thought they knew better and were dictating her whole life into this other male person who, even though there was, spoiler alert, there's love um, in this, it just seemed like he was also someone who was telling her what to do it, through the lens of his wanting to keep her safe. I'm getting ahead of myself. But yeah, so little one is the nickname that Callum has for Estrella. Estrella's brother comes back in and he is like, hell no, this dude is a baddie. Also, Callum has the fame arc and his fame arc matches her fame arc. I immediately saw this for what it was, which was that, okay, he's glamoring himself. He's the fae. He's her mate. They have the same mark. It's writhing and moving and glowing and doing all the things that would signify to me, the reader, that he is 100% her mate. He's the fae and somehow he's cloaking himself to be not the fae, which again, very different motivation from from Blood and Ash, but the same the same lie, the same uh, veil of of true self. And so hated it, knew that it was happening, hated it. And yes, spoiler alert, that is exactly what's happening. So if you just wanted like the quickest synopsis of this book, you got it. 
they're mated. Now, I feel like it's very interesting how it all comes together and who he actually is. So I would stay tuned to get those little nuggets. But if you're in and out, that's it. Speaking of in and out, I think that would actually be a fantastic sponsor for this for many reasons, one of which you can't just go in and out. You got to you got to get her ready. You got to prepare. You got to get us ready, especially especially for the things that we find out about Callum in this book. In and out. I don't know if they have a slogan. I probably would have had time to read it in the four hour lines that I waited in for in and out in the past. But in and out is not the sponsor of this episode, but it 100% should be. So yeah, so the brother is like, that dude is a, we don't know him. We're afraid of everyone. No, we're on the run by ourselves. And she convinces him to leave together. And so, or he convinces her to leave together. So they leave. They're back on the run. The, they run into the mist guard and the mist guard are like, we're going to kill you. And her and her brother are like, we're jumping off a cliff together. We're going to die before we're taken or killed by someone else. I don't know. It's very confusing, but it's also very simple. They just, I don't know. They seem to really have a death wish for people who are on the run avoiding death. But her brother falls to his death, unfortunately, and does not make it. And Callum shows up. He saves the day. He saves her. She falls over the cliff. She somehow lives and Callum goes down and saves her. They're on the run together now. <laughs> now they're on the run together. Um, we don't really know where they're going. I have no idea where they're going, um, but it seems like they're trying to get farther away from where the veil fell. He is saying things that are like blatant foreshadowing of like, we'll have all the time in the world together and things like that, which I'm like, this is, it's 100%. And then I started to think like, is this too in my face that I am wrong? <laughs> I would love to be surprised um, in a way that I didn't think I could be. But, and for From Blood and Ash, I feel like I knew that Castile was Hawk from the beginning because of my spoiling uh, fingertips, Googling stuff that I shouldn't. But for this, I was really hoping to be surprised. And I was surprised in the end. So Harper gets a clap from me on surprising me a little bit um, in a weird way. So now Callum and Estrella are on the run together and... From the first night they sleep together, you know, they're huddling together for warmth. She starts to realize that she is in trouble. She's going to fall in love with this fella. And it's going to be all for nothing because A, he's beautiful. And she doesn't think that she deserves him in that way, which she's wonderful and, and gorgeous. But two, she knows that they both have a mate out there who's going to cleave the world to get them back. So she doesn't allow herself to really believe that their love could last. And he's saying all these things to her, like we're going to have all the time in the world and you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen or ever woman I've ever laid eyes on and things like that, which are just these very blatant foreshadowing pieces. But I actually was starting to think too, maybe I'm completely wrong about this and maybe the maybe he's not Faye. And maybe this is a story about how they break the Faye um, mate bond and they can be together. So I st definitely still had some questions. They start to, you know, sleep in caves and avoid the monsters of the forest and start to have some conversation. But you realize you're not finding out anything about him. And he's very supportive of her. But I felt like he was just really possessive. And in a way that I think some people might like this, like, you're mine. And I'm obviously, like, jumping from their initial 
interaction through their traipsing through the forest and surviving the creatures and the stealing of the capes and the tripping over the branches. But he, to me, just comes across as super possessive, which is funny because that's what they said the Fae were like with their mate. So I just found it so interesting that she was so trusting of him. And I didn't like the fact that it seemed like he, uh, I mean, it probably came from a good place. Uh, It did come from a good place, I think, of a mate bond, which I love. It's my favorite trope. But it seemed like she was also just being sort of talked into another romantic relationship. And yeah, he didn't take without asking. And he was actually very good about making sure that she consented to anything that was going on between them. But he would say things like, you're going to be begging for me or, you know, you're going to crawl into my bed or something like that. And for me, that has worked in other books and it just didn't work for me in this book. This brings me to my second trope. I've talked about Faded Mates in in this book. Um, The second trope that comes up here is a trope that I have such half and half feelings on. I love it in some contexts and I hate it in other contexts. And there were a few times in this book that I loved it, but the majority of the time I hated it. And it is touch her and die. And there was a line that I flagged here. I think he literally says, don't fucking touch her, Callum warned, his voice filled with malice as I flung my alarmed gaze towards him he literally said touch her and die well he didn't literally say that but that's what he was saying and there's another part where he says someone puts a hand on her shoulder they run into these people who are in the resistance and they join them to you know potentially be safe with other fey marked and um one of the guys who ends up actually literally trying to sexually assault her but before that he puts a hand on her shoulder and callum says Remove that hand if you want to keep it. And so this is touch her and die. I, like I said, I have mis- mixed feelings on it. Sometimes I really like it. The idea is exciting for me. But sometimes when I feel like it's stepping in the way of the main character standing up for themselves, I don't enjoy it. And it seemed like here, Estrella was more shocked by his response than was than by the person who was touching her. It wasn't doing it for me. I know it does it, does it for a lot. And I will never... This is a blatant disclaimer. I will never yuck someone else's yum because I sure as hell don't want anyone to yuck my yum. And I know that I have things, I have preferences that other people might find bat shit bonkers crazy, bat bat wing bonkers crazy. And that's okay. Like there's a reason we're different people. We can all have different preferences. Um, So I might talk about things I do or don't enjoy in these books, but it's definitely not a judgment by any means. If that's something that you do enjoy, more power to you. Hell yes. So he starts to become more possessive. She wants it though. She sees it as a form of his validation of his feelings for her. Um, And she starts to 100%. She thinks she's going to fall in love with him. She does fall in love with him. He falls in love with her, we think. He admits it. They both admit it in this book. And they definitely build a physical relationship on top of that. So this brings me to my second word that I would use to describe this book, which is frozen bucket. Is that what I said? A frozen bucket. I felt like sometimes reading the scenes that got into a little bit of spice or a lot of spice or some deep good spice or some spooky spice. I just those are all the spice girls of of the book world. (laughs) Spice Girls could also be a fantastic sponsor of this podcast or maybe an intro song at some point in time. Who knows? I'm going to table that. I felt like 
the build of the slow burn of this book, well, it's not slow burn, but the build of the desire of this book from where it went to that sort of introspection to the actual sexual acts felt like someone was throwing a bucket of cold water on me. I was getting there. I was getting excited. And then I would read the line and I would immediately be turned off. And I know that a lot of people really liked this author's style and the spice in this book. And it's not meant to be some, you know, profound literary work. But I I just felt like it was done better in other books that I'd read and not trying to say, I mean, they can all be good. All the spicy books can be great. But for me, it took me out of it so much that it I it felt like I was being doused with a bucket of cold water. That could be because I didn't the some of the words that the author uses to describe the anatomy is are not are not my jam. And so maybe that was part of it, but it also just felt like it was like coming in hot. And I like, you know, I like it. Like the the Blood Forest from the first from Blood and Ash book, I liked it. I mean, Castile went went in for the kill with the line and it, it turned me on. It was really hot. But for some reason, when Callum comes in with the dirty talk, I'm just not here for it. Um, OK, now we're going to get into it. So uh, if you are if you don't enjoy naming of sexual anatomy um, from a arousal perspective maybe skip this part um I just don't love the word pussy and that's the word that's used the most in this book when describing Estrella's anatomy so um it's just the word doesn't do it for me I don't like saying it not not from a prudish way but just I don't find it attractive that I think maybe played into the reason why I didn't find it as spicy Maybe not spicy is not the right word. I didn't find it as personally spicy. It wasn't my personal spice level, but I understand that it's on a lot of people's spice shelves. But even in times where that word wasn't used, I felt like the way that he comes in with his dirty talk, which I am a big fan of dirty talk, I just, I didn't love it. And okay, so I'm gonna get into this little portion. We're just gonna go, we're literally gonna go all in on it. And this is what I was talking about, in and out, all in. There's a theme in some of these books that is like having a dick so big that it's gonna break you in half, you know, or it being like being able to take all of it. I, as someone who suffers from UTIs, <laughs> that it's just not interesting to me. In my mind, I understand that it works for a lot of other people, but for me, it feels almost written by a man. That's where a lot of Callum's dirty talk comes from is like, I'm going to ruin you. I'm going to break you. And maybe that's also why it felt like a bucket of cold water for me, because I'm like, I don't know, give me a standard set of inches, you know, (laughs) that's just for me. So maybe that was another contributing factor. But that is, I mean, like the main if I could choose a theme for their um, sexual encounters with one another, it's dirty talk around the size of his dick. And, you know, even there is written It's like it hangs to his knees or, you know, the size of it, the snake, if you will. She uses um, Estrella. My dog just groaned. She is not having this conversation. (laughs) Estrella describes it as this giant snake serpent that is going to jump out and, you know, grab her. And it's just not for me. But I understand it's um, it's definitely there's now that I'm looking at the cover of this book, there's also a big snake on the front of it, which I don't know, maybe that's foreshadowing. Maybe that's a little bit of a spoiler alert that should be put on the front of this book. But they end up getting together. They end up getting falling in with this resistance who is they're resisting the Fae, the Mist Guards and the Wild Hunt. Um, 
And you start to see that they are in love. And there is a line from Callum that I actually really liked. I mean, it stems from him, another conversation about his his big, big snake. It says, my body gave in the space between my legs, throbbing and begging for his touch as his hand skimmed over my waist and he explored the body he'd conquered. You're going to break me, I whispered, not having meant to speak the words out loud, but there was no boundary between us, no part of me that wanted to take back the words I should have kept to myself. I'm skipping a paragraph, but no, little one, I'm going to love you, he said, touching his forehead to mine. And honestly, after all I've read in this book, that line, it got me. It, it really did. I really liked it. I, I was n- not expecting it. Even though we do think that he loves her. I mean, I do think that all his actions are out of love. It just, it really was such a sweet admission that he does love her. So Estrella has these obsessions. I don't know, obsession is not the right word. That's putting a lot on her. She has interests in learning about the things she couldn't when she lived in her village. So like the old gods, the fae, the primordials, and all of that jazz. And at one point, um, Callum takes her to this before they end up hooking up, when she t- when she talks about hanging down to his thigh, um, he takes her to this bathing place and uh, she sees a statue of sort of the gods involved in some group activities, if you will. And one of them, his name is, I want to get one person's name right, in this entire podcast uh, season. His name is Caldrus, and he is known as the god of the dead. When they were in the areas with the statues, she was really drawn to this guy who, this god, who is meant to be the god of death and pretty spooky, uh, but she thought he was a hottie. She just kind of felt a feeling when she looked at him and kind of was drawn to him. Um, I took this as, uh, in my mind, in my conspiracy theory mind of fantasy books, took this as, oh, that's got to be like his dad, you know, because I don't know, for some reason, I just felt like it was his dad and for some of the foreshadowing. So I thought that Caldrus was Callum's dad for the third time, <laughs> in case I wasn't clear, um, which makes the unfolding of this book all the more interesting for me as a person, because I had to go through a lot of feelings and emotions. Again, they're in the resistance a little bit later on, and there's another mention of it where uh, she says, my fingers trace the ends of his mark hesitantly, unable to turn my attention from the drawing of Caldrus. They were the same color as mine and Callum's. I didn't expect to find you with your head in a forbidden book, my star. Oh, he calls her my star. And I actually really do like that. I like that better than little one. Um, her name's Estrella. I think that means some some type of star. So I really do like that nickname. But so this is, again, where I'm like, okay, wait, are they siblings? Come to find out, Callum has a sister that was stolen from them. And I think it's not revealed in this book. But my, again, let me get out my tinfoil hat. I actually think that she is, the, it's a stepsister. So it's not a blood sister. But his stepmom had a child with someone else that was stolen. And I think, it's, I'm going to just clarify that. Um, I think that this is Estrella. And I don't I don't know if that's true or not. If you think that too, um, cool. <laughs> Let's bond over our shared trauma of being wrong. Yeah, so there is the the, the thought that he's, Again, another piece of evidence that he potentially is Faye. And then a little bit later on, there are these other characters. They don't matter and they all die, to be honest. Everyone else that we're introduced to is killed. Not even worth mentioning. Um, 
But there is a line that I, again, it was one of those like, I was like, oh, this is why you read these books because they some of them have these like golden lines that just make you feel other. Estrella is basically asking who who comes from what, you know, what was the beginning? Like who, which gods begot which gods um, and the fae and all that jazz. And this mentor type person to her says, the wild hunt comes from the shadow court and is tasked with collecting the fae marked to bring back to Alphamir. Alfheimer. Alfheimer. I think that's what it is. The old gods are humanoid. <laughs> Love that word. Um, the children and sometimes grandchildren of the primordials. The children of the old gods are known as the city. S-I-D-H-E. The city and the old gods look just like us, except more. She said, her voice dropping lower. More what? I asked. More everything. Like that line, I tabbed it. I was like, oh, they're just more. They're more everything. They decide to go on this excursion to help bring more Fae Marked back. They go into this city that's long been turned down, turned down, that's long been destroyed and burned down. And you come to hear a story about Caldrus. And apparently the city used to worship Caldrus. Then, I don't know, something happened. Then the veil was brought up. And then the city turned on Caldrus. And they took him and they hung him and they cut off his dick and they sliced off his legs and her eyes were cut off her ears were cut off they plucked off her fingernails like it was like that like they tortured him and but they couldn't kill him because you can't kill these fae unless you stab them in the heart with an iron sword or um slice off their head so they didn't kill him he comes to and then he is so angry that he after he you know rejuvenates himself he um goes back and like burns this city to the ground or like turns it into rubble or something and so you find out about this they're in this city they're ambushed Estrella's about to be killed and all of a sudden Callum screams stop I don't know if he screams stop but in my mind he screams stop everyone drops dead except for Estrella and his glamour on himself fades away and you find out that he is Faye. You not only find out that he is Faye, but you might have guessed it before I did because I thought that Caldrus was his dad. So that was out of the realm of possibilities, but it's not his dad. It's him. He's Caldrus. He's the god of the dead. He had all of his things sliced. He's Faye. He knew that they were mates. That's why their swirlies matched, which I don't know. She should have she should have seen that coming a mile away. There was a line early on where someone in the resistance was like, I can see if there's a Faye glamour. And so I think it was like a little bit of, oh, yeah. So see, he's clearly not a Faye because this other person said they could see through the glamours. And if this he's a god, I mean, he is the god of the dead. So he probably had access to a higher level, Jeff Bezos level of glamour, billionaire level, the top tier God level glamour. So yeah, turns out he's Caldrus. You find out on the last page of the book, reminiscent of something else I might have covered, they're mates. You find out that she, so in this book, you basically have like 13 lives um, and your soul comes back 13 times. And on the 13th death, it's the true death. And you find out that Estrella is on her last life. And so that's why he was so protective of her. Um, I still don't love it, but I could understand it a little bit more. The very last line, he says, you are my mate, Estrella, and nothing will come between us now that I have you at my side. So again, feels very much like the bomb is dropped on her. He lied to her this entire time, slept with her, took her heart 
potentially fell back in love with her all under the guise of being like her. And that was one of the her big motivations was he's like me. And that's why our, maybe our maybe I feel so drawn to him. And I feel like this is a song we've sung for a thousand years together with our bodies because we both are Faye marked. But in actuality, they were mates. And we don't know why at this point. I don't know why, because I literally just finished this book last night. So I have no idea why he would lie to her for this long. It ain't great. I think he's a snake. I think he's a snake. Don't love him. If we're ranking book boyfriends that I've covered so far, it's Castile and then Kieran and then Callum. Only because there are no others. So that's that's where we stand on the book boyfriend ranking of the week. But yeah, I remember I closed the book and I felt kind of sad. I have the second. I'm going to read it because I'm interested. I think after I read the first book of From Blood and Ash, I was still, I still loved Hawk slash Castile, even though I was pissed. Um, And I was mad at him for that one act, but who he was, I loved. And I just didn't love Callum. Probably for the best for me, because I've already got too many book boyfriends anyways. So who would have known what to do with another one, especially another C name? We're going to get into all the C names this season. Lastly, I was disappointed because you find out that Caldrus slash Callum actually shattered the veil. And I really so, I so wanted it to be Estrella when she touched it right before her throat slit. I wanted it to be her power that shattered it. I wanted it to be her curiosity and her sort of something thrumming within her. And so I also didn't love the fact that it was Callum slash Caldrus who ended up doing the thing that set everything in motion. I wanted it to be her. I wanted her to be all powerful and sort of come into that. And I just, I don't know. I kind of just wished it was her. So for this book, I would, I, I, I wouldn't reread it because it was a really simple read and I remember everything from it. I could, I could say it aloud. I could speak it from memory. No, I absolutely couldn't. I would recommend it as a good palate cleanser fantasy or a good intro to fantasy, adult, adult fantasy. And I mean like true spicy adult fantasy. There's a scene in this book where Estrella and Callum are in the resistance under their, it's in tunnels underneath this mountain. And everyone bathes in the same bathing area and there's sexual activity happening all around them and everyone is trying to hook up with either of them and they're like, no, we're together. And so after a very heavy exertion, killing a beast, Callum is like buzzing and they end up taking a bath because it's the only place that they can go and take this bath with everyone watching and they decide to fuck in front of everyone. Um, And it's I would say it's a very mutual decision. He says, hey, you need to get out of here if you're not ready to do this in front of everyone. And if you touch me, I'm going to like I'm going to I'm going to go. And she is like so she touches him like very expressively, explicitly touches him expressedly she touches him and he takes that and they they do it they fuck in front of everyone as to sort of lay their claim on one another and set the boundary that they they are each other's and no one else's I thought it was a great scene to read I really enjoyed it and they kind of like walk out of the after after uh, the grand finale they walk out 
Estrella doesn't feel regret, but she just starts to feel a little embarrassed that, you know, she lost her inhibitions in front of everyone. And um, the girl hands her like another girl hands her a towel and she's like, now get out of here so that we can deal with the storm you just created. It was like a game of sexual telephone where everyone else decides that they're going to fuck immediately. And I don't know. I just thought it was a fun little spicy scene for a book. But I think this is a good palate cleanser. It's definitely not very deep. I'm sure that there's foreshadowing in this, like potentially her being the long lost stepsister or some other things with the fae and there's you know some witches I'm sure there's other things that maybe come up in the second book but for this as a in and of itself I would recommend it I wouldn't return it I'd love to hear your thoughts if you read the book if you feel the same way about opening a book and seeing a map or if you immediately close it shut if you're a fantasy reader I would say you probably enjoy a map but I don't know. I don't want to assume. Uh, I'm curious to know your thoughts on the size of Callum's snake and whether or not you think Touch Her and Die is the tops when it comes to book tropes. Head on over to my TikTok at Kayla and PDX or my Instagram, What's Her Fantasy podcast. And let's chat about which of Callum's nicknames you liked more, Little One or My Star. There's no right answer. There is a right answer. It's my star. <laughs>